Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Right. Hello. We'd like to welcome everyone to the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. As you know, this uh, podcast is designed to help individuals to see how uh, local people in the area are actually using commercial real estate to actually blow up their businesses, build real estate portfolios, and really set fine examples in the marketplace. So we're extremely happy to, today to have a, a longtime client of mine and friend of mine, I guess you could say, Shaniqua Garcia, who is uh, blazing a tremendous trail. And uh, one reason why I invited her here today is because of what she's been able to do. You know, COVID got really bad. We're in the middle of the COVID crisis right now. You know, the SBA and other organizations started actually shutting down and saying there's no way in the world we're going to fund hair salons and places like that where people are going to come in and sit next to each other and have to interact in such a way. Yet and still, Shaniqua exploded her business during this period of time. And it's like unbelievable as to how she did it. So first and foremost, before I go too deep, Shaniqua, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Joel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, great, great to have you today. For those who who don't know, um, tell us a little bit of, about your background. Uh, you know, I know you're from Connecticut, but Take us from there. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Shaniqua Garcia. Um, like Joel mentioned, I am originally from Connecticut. I've been in Georgia since about 2009. My background is I have a bachelor's in uh, sociology and a minor in uh, business management. I'm a licensed cosmetologist as well. I've been a licensed cosmetologist for about 17 years. I have been a salon owner here in Georgia for 11 years. And most of what brought me to Georgia was um, going to grad school. I thought I wanted to be a marriage and family therapist, uh, but I quickly changed my mind <laughs> and realized how much therapy I was already doing behind the chair, you know, as a hairstylist, um, talking to people about their different woes and struggles and challenges. Um, and I'm like, I'm already a therapist. I don't need to go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You know, so uh, um had my hair salon for, like I said, about 11 years in Georgia mm -hmm. and had decided, you know, I noticed like a shift that was occurring in the industry where it was becoming more challenging to create a team, you know, um, hiring stylists who were either employees or even wanting to be, you know, booth renters. But I was finding this common ground of everyone wanting to kind of do their own thing. They wanted to come and go as they please. They wanted to dress how they please. They wanted to just be their own boss. Mm -hmm. And the drive to wanting to be their own boss kind of gave me this idea to tap into a vision that I saw years ago. And I never really saw an example of a salon suite, but I always like to say God gave me this vision um, because, again, I never saw the example, but mm -hmm. I always thought about my times working in a salon um, back in Connecticut where I worked with some very wonderful, crazy talented ladies. And one of the very most popular uh, hair salons called Style 2000 um, in New Haven, but their uh, business practice and models was very different from mine in the sense of there was always a lot of activity going on. It was always loud, you know, a lot of visitors and people and people selling things like 
your traditional <laughs> salon yeah. barbershop type setting. And um, that wasn't quite the vision that I had, like in, in my mind, if I had a salon, what I would prefer to have. And so I always thought like, man, it would be great to still be able to have this community of people that we socialize with, but we can go into our own space and create an environment specifically for our, um, for our guests. And I noticed too, that as people started to deal with different health issues, losing their hair, you know, and wanting the extra privacy as well, mm -hmm. um, because they were embarrassed, you know, and you're in a salon with like 10 other stylists and chairs and all of their guests, and they're now able to see kind of all of that, you know, so that was the previous vision. So now moving forward, I'm, um, I have my salon on Edgewood Avenue. My lease is about to end and I got to make a decision. Do I renew my lease or do I move on and do something else? And I'm like, you know, maybe this is my chance to go ahead and capture that vision that I saw of opening a salon suite. Fast forward almost five years later and three locations now, we have a location in the West End. And thanks to Joel, um, Joel helped me um, acquire that property there, that piece of property in our location in Decatur and um, our location that we just opened up in March. We opened in March and by the end of March, we were already booked. We're full to capacity. And now we're looking for another location, you know, um, for our fourth venture. And like Joel mentioned, during COVID, people were calling us like crazy, like because salons were closing down. And for our industry, a lot of people didn't have a backup plan. They didn't have contingencies. They didn't have savings. And in order to put food on their table, they had to work. And so we were getting calls again, during the pandemic, I was doing construction. I was renovating space to, <laughs> to accommodate this influx of people who were looking for, for some place to go because their hair salon, you know, they couldn't pay their rent. So their landlord either evicted them or the salon just decided they're folding and they're not going to open back up again mm -hmm. because no one saw the end to the pandemic. No one saw like, how is life going to continue yeah. if I can't be close to a person or, you know, everyone's scared, you know, so it, it definitely was a blessing. <laughs> right, right. And we still don't know how this thing is going to end. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's really interesting. But despite all of that, you're still growing. And I, I thought it was interesting because let, let's rewind the tape a little bit sure. to, uh, to pre-COVID. And like you said, you had a lease that was coming due. And you decided to buy this building on the, the West End. And as you know, the West End for a long time has just kind of been going down, down, down uh, mm -hmm. in value and in quality of life and everything else. What gave you the desire to open up a facility in the West End? You know, what was your, your thought process behind that? Which turned out to be a good one. But, you know, at that time, what made you think that way? I had gotten word that, you know, the West End, there was going to be some development happening, but I know that that had been the talks for many years. And um, you can see little bits of changes of gentrification already happening in the community and in the area. But the other part for me was um, being close to the AUC. A lot of my business, my early on business of building my clientele happened through the AUC Center. Um, a lot of my, my clients were students who just had relocated. They don't have a stylist and they needed someone that they're that they can trust that their parents felt comfortable with them you know going mm -hmm. to and so our salon had majority of our clientele was from students you know so and what's so, the AUC just for people who who don't know oh, what yeah. that is who might be from out of out of state 
Correct, 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 correct. So the AUC is the area where you have Morehouse, Spelman, and Clark Atlanta University. Um, so they call all, all three of those universities in that area the AUC. Atlanta University and Center. Atlanta yeah. University um, Center, yes, yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was where we we were able to, again, build our clientele. So I'm like, well, let's stay close to the AUC. I think one day I was actually visiting the site and they have now a shuttle that literally drives down my the street where the building was and can potentially drop the students off at the location. I was like, oh, perfect, because we used to have issues with transportation. And because it's not close, you know, not far, the students could walk if they wanted to. But yeah. now you have a shuttle that literally can drop you off in front of the building to come get your hair done, which I thought, okay, well, this would be great because you have now access to clientele for whoever is um, renting the space. So that was one of a couple of the, the things that I was thinking about. And truth be told, I actually was looking for a house to convert into a salon, but I wound up getting something else that was bigger and better, you know, for, you know, yeah. a better price as well. Right, right. So so let's let's talk about that for a quick second, because, you know, this is a real estate show. So we kind of focus on, you know, <clears throat> why did you make the decisions that you made and what was the, the thought right. process behind it? And you brought up a couple of key points that I just want to make sure we focus in on. Uh, one of them is you looked for growth drivers. You know, what did you have that would allow you to have a consistent clientele? All right. And obviously a university like the AU Center with all those universities together would have a lot of clientele that were constantly in the area. Um, and then you also mentioned about sources of, of change, little sparks, if you will, or, or what we call in the industry green shoots, where you're seeing opportunities of, of some development, some change, some gentrification, some things going on that uh, show that the area is not stagnant and knowing that it's close enough to uh, to Atlanta that at some point, you know, it was going to come back anyway, because real estate generally cyclical anyway, and then also being near the near the trains. So, yeah, I mean, literally right across from the train. Um, so, yeah. you know, having access, you know, for public transportation is always helpful. But the other part, you know, in regards to even just the decision to rent or to purchase, first being a homeowner, you, you do get a different set of insight um, mm-hmm. as to just the value of and the controls of your mortgage payment. Even if taxes go up, it's still not going to be drastic enough where your payments are going to jump so high. Mm-hmm. I was on Edgewood Avenue, Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta, across the street from Thumbs Up Diner. And when I first rented the space, my rent was $1,600 a month for 900 square foot space. Mm. Um, by the my last year in my lease, my rent had gone up to about $1,850 a month. And then if I wanted to renew for another three years, it would automatically jump to $2,300 a month. For, actually, excuse me, $2,100 a month and cap at $2,300 at the end of the third year. So after just doing the math, I was like, it's not it's not worth it anymore. You know, they did offer to sell the property. And I think the property at the time was going for $250,000 for 900 square foot space, where instead my property was 4,400 square foot for $200,000. No brainer. Simple <laughs> <laughs> No brainer. You go from a mortgage or a rent payment of $1,800 to a mortgage payment of like $1,600 for 4,400 square foot space. Yeah. So of course, you know, again, the investment piece of it and thinking about what can I really afford and not even understanding the position that I was in 
and being able to have, you know, you guys to kind of guide me and to show like, okay, this is what you could potentially purchase. And this is what your overhead would look like. I'm like, well, that's less than what I was already doing over here, you know, for, you know, not even triple the amount of space. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it kind of became a no brainer for you, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the goal was, I can be in this large building and not have any, you know, tenants and still be okay and be able to afford it. Cause that's what I've been doing in my 900 square foot space. Uh, but making room, I think even the business model of making room for other entrepreneurs to flourish, mm-hmm. creating some sort of stepping stone, because I think it, everyone's not necessarily ready to have a storefront and, and go grand right away. Cause there's so many different uh, variables to consider, but I think the salon suite model concept provides room for beautiful professionals, you know, to have that space where they can be an entrepreneur on a smaller scale. And then that can be, you know, again, a stepping stone for them to, to go somewhere else, you know? Right, right. Exactly. So let's talk about that a little bit, because what, what's interesting about it to me is people look at the, the WeWork model and they kind of say, okay, well, that's similar to WeWork, you know, what's going to be different. And obviously WeWork, you know, faced the collapse in the marketplace when, when COVID broke out when this particular business model just went through the roof. So what what exactly for those listening in is a salon suite and how is that different than a regular salon? Right. So a salon suite allows beauty professionals, again, to be independent, be their own business, be their own boss. Um, They are renting a small, maybe 100 square foot to 140 square foot space within a building and they're sharing, you know, common areas with other people. I think the, the piece that maybe be a little bit different with where you have WeWork and things like that, where people can work from home and have, you know, their office at home, not to because people haven't been working and doing hair at home, but I think be, during COVID, people wanted us an isolated space where they mm-hmm. can have someone go to, you're controlling the environment and you're not having all these different people coming in and out of your home, again, for the safety piece of things. So I think that was probably one of the key things that during COVID really helped, you know, the business model is where I can say when you come in, you have to get your temperature checked. You have to wear a mask. You know, I'm wearing gloves. The area is sanitized because I have controlled the area. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have customers just one on one. And the space is really not large enough for you to have multiple people in the space anyway. Um, So it makes it where people are feeling as comfortable as possible. And then that way they can still patronize your business without you losing any money. Right. Gotcha. So how does the uh, the leases run in comparison to having people that just rent a booth like at your typical barbershop or typical hair salon? How How is that different from a, a rent standpoint? Everyone runs their business differently. Um, some some booth rental spaces allow there to be some flexibility. Just give me two or three weeks notice. Some people do have it on a six month you know, maybe all the way up to a year. Um, we also have our um, our tenants on a one year lease. And again, the, the biggest piece that is just a difference is, you know, having your private space. You can listen to what you want to listen to. You can, you don't have to worry about someone taking your stuff. Um, there's a level of privacy. You don't have to be involved in different conversations. So, but the, but the lease piece, it just varies from business to business, but what we offer is a one-year lease. Okay. All right. And is the, are you able to get more per square foot with this particular model or is it same or less or how does that actually play out? So 
Mm. It depends on um, where where you're located. I have specifically and intentionally um, selected locations where we're like an underserved population. There are franchises and there are um, corporate owned salon suites that are located in Buckhead, Brookhaven, and, you know, just high population, high rent (laughs) locations. And so a suite, for example, just so you can understand just the difference. I mean, it's, it's really about real estate and how much it is per square foot, you know, based off the market. But if a suite offering the same exact amenities, that's a hundred square foot, they're charging 300 to 325 per week in rent versus my location for the same thing is charging 225 per week. So it it makes it where it's affordable, you know, for everyone to be able to obtain where they're not well, I like this space. It's near me, but I, I can't afford to be in that, mm-hmm. you know, be in that location. Mm-hmm. It definitely makes more sense to have a square foot of, of space that you can subdivide it up and, mm-hmm. and collect rent weekly versus monthly. Okay. All right. Yeah, because um, I know what we found in, in a similar model, you can actually almost triple the amount of revenue per square foot mm-hmm. uh, by using a model like this, as opposed to your traditional model. And uh, if you think about being able to benefit from the increased demand and being able to, uh, you know, triple the rent basis, you know, it certainly becomes a much more profitable, you know, factor. And I guess part of being able to do that is because of the privacy and other things. Yeah. And I mean, I think um, when we first opened up as well, we had salon suites upstairs and and we did have office suites downstairs. So we did have that co-working office space and we wound up doing away with the model because, in the industry, like an office, you're going to spend maybe about $400, $500 a month max, mm-hmm. you know, for a small office space, where in turn, that same office space, I'm making $800 versus $400. So I'm doubling the amount of money because of the industry. The industry warrants that amount. Mm-hmm. When you, Even if you're in a, a salon setting, like most barbers are paying hundred between $100 to $150 per week to rent a chair. Stylists are renting from you know, $200 to almost $300 per week for a chair. So the, again, the idea of per week versus an office setting, they're thinking per month. And so again, I couldn't get anyone to spend more than $400 a month in, in that space. So again, once everyone's lease was over, we just converted the whole thing to more salon suites. It just made more sense. So we doubled our money. Yeah. Yeah. See that that's exactly what we're, what we're talking about. So if you think about it from a real estate perspective, and, um, and I want to open it up to our guests as well. If anyone has any comments for Shaniqua, uh, you can put those in the chat and we'll start taking those, those questions. But if you think about it from the standpoint of being able to open up real estate, because many people are, are thinking, okay, well, what's the upside? What's the opportunity in a COVID type environment? And being able to take a space, convert it into a salon suite and maybe lease it out to people might be profitable than just your traditional office space model. So, you know, I, I think that's pretty good from that standpoint. There's probably a lot more plumbing that goes into it, but you'll make it back, uh, you know, from, from that standpoint with doubling the uh, doubling the rent per square foot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And also be clear about that zoning, you know, understanding what uh, different counties are required because you can mm-hmm. you can come across a wonderful piece of property. And I think through my journey of finding property, selecting um, every time there's a different learning lesson, um, especially when you're dealing with different states, you know, requirements and um, and codes and 
for example, like DeKalb County, uh, where the my second location is in, they have um, backflow issue. So there's a cap on how many, you know, sinks that you can put in, in into the space, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. Now, imagine if I didn't do the research and I actually purchased the property, how much restrictions, you know, that mm-hmm. I would have had to face, you know, I would have made more money because when you have a sink in the room, it warrants more more rent versus mm-hmm. a room that doesn't have a sink in there. So just little things like that, that yes, it costs you more upfront, you know, for the cost of the plumbing, but um, over time you would definitely make your money back. Right, right. So as it stands right now, you have three locations. All of them are, from what I understand, 100% leased up. Correct. And, uh, you know, the the one that that we just did in, I think it was January, uh, that, that we closed <laughs> on, you know, before you even finished the renovations, that was pretty much leased up. Yeah, there was a waiting list and um, we are generating a waiting list now and um, just looking for, again, those those pockets of spaces where it has to make sense with the numbers. You can't go in too high. Your rent can't be too high or your mortgage can't be too high because there is a cap on the income that you can make. There's no way to really generate more money outside of unless you you are personally working in the space as some sort of beauty professional where you Mm -hmm. then can generate money or maybe a vending machine or sell something. But other than that, once you, if it's strictly rent, once you at mass capacity, there's no more money to make, you move on to the next project. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So so tell us also, I think it's important to note that, um, you know, you're not just the average hairstylist. Uh, <laughs> first of all, you, you feature and focus on uh, ethnic hair. I think that's important to talk about. And then you've also traveled all over the world, you know, doing shows and other things. So give us a little bit about your background there as well. Sure, sure, sure. So I am a contract worker for um, a beauty uh, company and I, you know, travel and provide education to different trade shows in regards to their products, um, do demos. I have a couple of um, products that are on on shelves. I didn't create them, but they're the models that are on the front of the cover, that some of that is my work. Um, <laughs> I've been to, to Brazil, to Canada, to all over different states, just again, representing these different brands and companies to teach, you know, teaching the consumers how to use their products Mm -hmm. and, you know, teaching them different techniques for their hair. So when we're doing trade shows, I'm on stage, I'm doing demos, I'm answering questions, again, photo shoots, video shoots, helping them to to create content um, for their particular brands, brands such as um, Aunt Jackie's, Design Essentials, Africa's Best, Texture My Way, Texlax. So those are some of the few uh, product brands that I've worked with. So I'm no longer behind the chair um, working in the salon full-time. I mostly just do consulting work um, and help them with just projects and things like that. So they'll call me and, you know, have me work a project with them and then they'll call me again. (laughs) Um, So it just depends on what they're looking for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so from, from hairstylist to now you, you're building this real estate portfolio, you're just doing consulting and uh, life seems to be getting a pretty pleasant for you. So <laughs> it, it has been, it has been, it's been moving really fast, you know? Um, and that's the piece that has been interesting because it's moving faster than I anticipated. Um, mm-hmm. The growth of the business and the demand. I mean, a lot more people are definitely shifting um, in this direction. I'm seeing more new salon suites popping up. I get a lot of inquiries of people asking me, you know, to consult them from a lot of different States um, because 
I'm probably one of the few brick and mortar minority owned, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. female owned um, salon suite owners out there. So and and is producing them, you know, pretty quickly. And 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 I think the other pieces I've seen some other salon suites be, you know, they put them up and it looked like they just threw it up, you know. And I think mm-hmm. even just our reputation of just providing, you know, a, a certain level of excellence is important. I think that there's this notion, you know, because it's minority owned that it's, it's not going to be of good quality. And um, that's one of those things that we pride ourselves on making sure that, that they're not being compromised, you know, compromising on that because they went with a black owned versus going corporate. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's one reason why I wanted to have you on because I, I know the way you think about issues like that, you know, it's not just about the dollars. It's about the quality. It's about the brand and the other things that you're building. So you've been doing an excellent job with that. Let me ask you about the West End. Kwame actually had a, a question and he said, can you talk about the future of the West End? Uh, there's been a lot of talk about huge real estate investments in the area recently. What, what do you know about what's going on in the West End since you're one of the uh, real estate owners in the West End? Yeah, so um, so I know there was big talk about the um, the West End Mall being mm-hmm. torn down and um, just a re- redevelopment of that area. I forget the two gentlemen's name. I know one guy was responsible for creating the Beltline, and then it was another guy who was out in California, but he's originally from Atlanta, and they were coming together to mm-hmm. work on this project of um, just you know creating more opportunity and and more life in the West End, which I'm excited to see, you know, because there is this space of um, just a lot of the same types of businesses, you know, a lot of sneaker stores, (laughs) a lot of, you know, just just things that I don't know that everyone's spending their dollars outside of the community because there's not as much options and variety in Mm -hmm. here, you know, in in the West End. And so um, the cost and the value has skyrocketed, you know, which is a good and bad thing, I think, because there's spaces where people are now not able to be able to afford to be in the West anymore. And folks who have homes that are a little bit older are either, you know, getting bought out and saying, hey, I'll give you this dollar amount for your house, you know, and then turn around and flip the house. And or I've I've watched them build a house directly across the street um, from us. The house sold for $425,000. And I'm like, wow. You know, I mean, I watched it from the ground up. And even as they renovated some of the other homes, I'm just like, wow, I I almost wish I would have been in a position to purchase before the boom, you know, but to see it just go so fast, but it has definitely gentrified really quickly. To to give us some comparison on that, what would a normal price normally be for something like that? The normal price before when I was looking in the area was like 67,000, 80, 85,000. If you were going commercial, um, there was a property like on Ralph David Abernathy, which was maybe three blocks down from where I am. Mm -hmm. That property was for 250,000, but it was on a main street. It was commercial. So, you know, the pricing was a little different versus like residential, but in the area, most of the homes were like, again, on the low end, 67 all the way to maybe 150. Um, now easy, the minimum like 375, just entry. And then everything has gone up from there. But it the inventory, I mean, I remember one day driving into work and there was t- three coach buses full of 
investors, investors yeah. with clipboards and they was just looking at these properties, looking to purchase, I guess, you know, looking at apartment complexes and different houses that were on the street. And just recently I drove past that same, you know, uh, complex. And now it has been, it's been purchased. It's been, you know, renovated and everyone who lived there, you know, got shifted on down. So again, the area is definitely changing, but I don't, I, there are still a lot of minorities living in the community, but a lot of them are also getting pushed out. So that is one of the sad points. You know, I get calls every single day of someone wanting to purchase my property that has now tripled in value, you know, yeah. So I'm like, I'm not moving. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Grow some deep roots and stay put. So, oh, yes. Oh, very yeah. good. Now, Kwame, I see you were able to unmute. So uh, you want to elaborate yeah, yeah. on what you were talking about? Go ahead, please. Yeah, yeah, no, Janiqua, I just, I just want to congratulate you on your success. And yeah, Thank I'm working you. on an iPad. So, <laughs> so I also wanted to talk about, like, you talked about, like, how you realized the AU Center students were your, your bread and butter clients and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you see more of them? Like, I remember when I was younger and I went to go visit the AU Center, you know, you know, after graduating, you know, I didn't, we didn't want to stay there. Do you know what I mean? We didn't want to be in that area. You know, we mm-hmm. didn't want to, to, to stay in that area. Do you think that gentrification is going to help more people to sell in that area? You know, now that there are jobs that are going to be there, Microsoft is, is doing stuff with um, Morehouse. Is that going to help your business? So, so now my, my business has shifted. And so to answer your question before the AU center was helping my business behind the chair. So since I'm no longer behind the chair, it doesn't matter, you know, in the (laughs) sense anymore right now, the people who rent from us, I mean, one of the requirement is that they have a stable clientele. So if they don't have a stable clientele, they can't rent from us. And so I don't know for women, let me say, I don't know. Some men are particular about their barber. Some men don't really care. They just need to get their hair done, you know, haircut and that's it. But women will follow you wherever you go. I have women who were coming from Tennessee, from um, Macon. She came every single week when she lived in Macon. Every week she had a weekly appointment driving from Macon, Georgia, you know? So you passing thousands of other stylists that you could have gone to. So the idea is, it really doesn't matter kind of where you're located, just as long as you have a clientele, because they're going to follow you anywhere that you go, um, regardless of where you are. I mean, of course, you want to make sure that it's accessible as possible. But for the most part, if they like what you do and what you offer, they're going to come to you regardless. So some of those students, you know, uh, some have graduated and gone off to grad school. So that that's where some of the transition happens, where we don't see them again, but they always come back for homecoming. <laughs> you always see them again. Or if they wind up getting a, a job opportunity in the state and they still will continue to come. So I don't know that they're necessarily getting settled um, as, as far as like living in the in the area, but they still come back to the same, you know, um, salon that they're familiar with because they know what to expect, you know. Um, so again, you you catch them through their all through their years of, of their college years. And then again, if they go away for grad school, they may come back or they don't go to grad school and they get a good job and they wind up staying. But for the most part, they will continue to patronize your business. That's great. Thank you so much. And continue to test. That's awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Appreciate that. Thank you, Kwame. So Shaniqua, as we, um, you know, looking going forward, what, what do you think the future holds for you? What would you like to see you know, uh, salon suite, pearl salon suites be in five years, 10 years. I mean, what's your what's your vision going forward? Yeah, I, um, I've been considering uh, franchising and just looking at what 
what that looks like. I've had some different people make some suggestions about, and as opposed to franchising, just licensing, you know, either the the blueprint, if you will, and then allow them to call it whatever they want to call it. It's a le- less hoops, less cost going mm-hmm. through that route. Um, I don't know if you even know this, Joel, but Pearl is my grandmother's name. Um, mm-hmm. So there's another level of just legacy for me. Um, so I am a little bit kind of like, no, that's my grandma. Like, I don't want to <laughs> anybody, you know, because I want to make sure whoever is going to represent the name represents her correctly. My parents are um, from Trinidad. And so my grandmother, you know, um, migrated here and worked like 20 jobs <laughs> to get her children to come here. But just a level of sacrifice. This is me kind of paying homage to her hard work, her sacrifice, her leaving her family, going into a space, you know, like many um, immigrants moving to New York, you know, mm-hmm. Brooklyn with 13 families inside of a three-bedroom yeah. apartment. That's how yeah. we lived, you know. And <laughs> You know, we're grandma's working at Bloomingdale's and she's cleaning hotel, you know, <laughs> the maid and she worked at McDonald's and everyone just did their part. And again, though, that sacrifice and be willing to just be humble and being a space where you created your own opportunity, um, opened the doors, you know, for me as her grandchild to have a better life, you know. And so for me, it's like to not work towards greatness and to be excellent is like a disservice, you know, to her and her sacrifice and the things that she, um, as she did for her family. And so it, it seems like, you know, how could you not <laughs> yeah, yeah. do something great and leave something behind? So again, the, the, the piece of the franchise for me, I'm still toying with because of the name. And so I may have to move a little emotion out of that to, to make that, <laughs> you know, grander and, and bigger than me, you know? Right, right. Well, good point. Good point. I mean, you you mentioned that it could be certainly bigger than you. And I think in so many ways, you've already proven that. Yeah. You know, if you look at it from the standpoint of, you know, you were just a just a girl doing hair, you know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, but but you you've come on. And, you know, one reason why we invited you to the show is because we've seen your progress over the years and your growth and, uh, you know, extremely impressed and happy to be part of it. And, uh, you know, certainly want to continue to hold your hand and guide you any way we can as you go forward. And, you know, we learn from you just as you learn from us. So it's a beautiful thing. You know, we're really excited about your growth. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think that there's something to be said about um, having a community of people who um, who are cheering you on and who want to see you grow. There are a lot of spaces that every time we talk that I'm always constantly learning, you know, from you, um, because this isn't my background. This isn't my world. You know, my world is here, you know, so um, I understand numbers, you know, but at the same time, just to be able to see the bigger picture and show the different avenues of, um, of investments and you know, going conventional, having a hard blender, going SBA, um, the qualifications and what they're looking for, like staying ready so you don't have to get ready. If, if I've learned anything from this whole process is what, you know, just making sure that your books are good, making sure that you're accounting mm-hmm. your numbers, all of that stuff makes sense. So when you see an opportunity, you're in a position to be able to, you know, to jump on that. And that's one of the things, you know, that we even teach, um, and offer to our our tenants. Um, we offer complimentary education because, um, and it's specifically business education, which probably is something a little bit different from the other locations or other companies. Is you know the motto is 
being business for yourself, but not by yourself. You know, so we're talking about social media, we're talking about branding, we're talking about marketing, and mm-hmm. we're pulling people from different industries to give them this information. Because again, most times we're they're making the money, but they don't know how to save. When the pandemic right. hit, folks didn't have any money, you know, saved because mm-hmm. they were spending the money like crazy. They don't have 401ks and IRAs and even understand they think they have to have a nine to five in order to have access to those things and those mm-hmm. resources. And that's the space where me learning from you, where I can then in turn share this information with them um, to tell them that, no, you can be in position to purchase and own your first home. You know, having people come and talk about first time home buyers, you know, um, opportunities. And like I said, being in that position you need to be an LLC so you can protect yourself. Do an S-Corp so you can have a W-2. So when you want to obtain things, you can show proof of income. Don't spend the money, you know, before yeah. it even hit the bank. Yes, you made 100000 but your bank account said 30000 <laughs> You know, because you're just spending it because that guy come in with a plate of food and <laughs> the yeah, lady's yeah. over here selling something else. So just that that mentality that we have had as an industry, you know, for uh, the Black community specifically, because the uh, Caucasian community is doing something different, even starting from the schools, what they're teaching and mm-hmm. what we're learning in the schools is way different. Um, so this is the platform that I can kind of merge both the business and the, you know, education of, you know, just how to be thriving in your business and not surviving. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. There's a difference between thriving and surviving, right? Yes. Or, or yeah, thriving and surviving. Absolutely <laughs> right. So that's a, that's a very, very good point. And glad you, uh, glad you brought that out. So, well, you know, it's, it's been uh, outstanding, you know, to uh, to be here with you today. And, um, you know, we appreciate the input, you know, just to kind of see, you know, how this has grown. And to me, that's that's important because so often, you know, we'll see somebody on the cover of a magazine and it's like, wow, they've, they've had this degree of success. But the question is always, well, how did they actually get there? Right. right? And there's always a little piece that's left out or something that you don't know about. But what what we really wanted to do here was to talk with individuals like yourself and and let you tell that story. You know, how did you actually grow from point A to point B? Because that serves as a as a means of inspiration for others. And, uh, you know, we we obviously we know how you're doing and you're doing a phenomenal job. You've grown very fast. You know, you, you've turned a situation that for many hairstylists would be pure lemons into uh, the sweetest lemonade. So it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. And um, you're able to spend more time with your kid and everything else. So I know that's important yeah, to you. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So that's, so it's really, really good. So, all right. So we appreciate that. Anything else you wanted to share with us today about uh, yeah. what you're working on? No, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, the next project, again, just looking at, um, I know I've been being pushed to uh, look at larger properties, which is a little outside of my own personal comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I recognize the benefits of, you know, just looking at spaces versus like single commercial spaces versus something that have um, multiple retail opportunities where other people can, other business types can rent in addition to having a, you know, a salon in that same space. So we're looking at a shopping plaza, I think actually next week, uh, we're going to be looking at a shopping plaza 
Um, so I'm excited, you know, again, about the growth of the Salon Suites business and business model and just um, the opportunities to help other people, you know, if they're interested in this type of business model as mm-hmm. well to learn more about it um, and just need some guidance because it is a niche market. And um, because I'm in the beauty industry, I kind of have firsthand, you know, versus someone who is just an investor wouldn't know, you know, even my contractor was like, man, I could just throw a couple of these up. And I'm like, yeah, you could, but <laughs> It yeah. is tricky, you know, and I think some people think of it as kind of like, it's this is simple. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, there's some things in there that you really have to have in place because you, these folks will tear your stuff up <laughs> if you don't yeah, get the right yeah. people in there, you know, so you're just making sure that you have the, the proper structure outlined, you know, approaching it in a certain way that, um, again, if, you, if you're not in the industry, you wouldn't understand, you know, knowing where to place things, how to put it, mm-hmm. floor plans, layouts, different things like that, so... Got yeah. you. Got you. Well, we'll definitely uh, keep that in mind. You know, we have a lot of investors that we deal with and being able to bring this expertise uh, to the table, you know, we'll certainly uh, reach out to you and, and have you come in as a consultant to help with some of these situations. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's an I excellent opportunity. Yeah, yeah without a doubt. definitely. Definitely. Absolutely. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, you know, Shaniqua, it's been great. Uh, and as we always say, this is Mornings with Joel, the CRE podcast. So we are certainly appreciative of you jumping in here early in the morning and uh, having this conversation with us. It's always good to kind of catch up and talk about what's going on. And hopefully, uh, you know, you'll get that building that you want and be able to continue to grow. And uh, we're excited for you. So, you know, all the most success to you in the world going forward. And uh, we're happy to have you with us today. Well, I appreciate you, Joel. Thanks for having me. I appreciate all your 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 continued uh, support. All right. Fantastic. So again, mornings with Joel CRE podcast. Look forward to seeing you next week. Take care. Bye-bye everyone. You've been listening to mornings with Joel commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.